Somehow I feel right now, you'd rather listen to them than me, but that's okay. They were good. I'd enjoy listening to them even more. Felt like we were going to have, have to ask for an encore on that as well, so thank you. Good job, man. Let's not wait until July 4th, night, night, what year is it? 2017. And you notice that Ron wrote that song, so yeah. All right. We're going to change gears a little bit, but uh, this whole theme of uh, the song that we sang earlier, the Getty song and the Church is Alive, and this song of a declaration from the dead, we know that uh, we have an opportunity to be set free. We, we live in a world where there are struggles, and I encourage you to follow along in the outline that you have as we get into Ephesians chapter 6 and remind ourselves that we are in a struggle. There's a lot of things that are very troubling to us these days. And even the last, over the last month, there's a significant things that are going on, whether it's the terrible loss of life in Bangladesh this last week, or those things that happened in San Bernardino or Orlando and all around the country, we're finding lives that are literally being torn apart by the ISIS, for the enemy is attacking anybody who would have a faith that is different than what they believe in terms of the terrorist activities of their Islamic radical belief system. We also know that there is also a war going on that is a little bit more subtle. And uh, I referenced it in the email this last week that there is this bill that is being passed in the legislature of Sacramento called 1146. And this bill is an attempt to cause schools that are like Biola University, uh, that is a religious institution, that is declared a religious institution, has a seminary, but it has six other schools as well. But it also has moral standards that there are certain moral standards that you have to abide by to be accepted as a student there or even to teach as a professor. And now those in the Senate are trying to tell Biola that you no longer can have freedom to choose the moral standards of your school. We're going to tell you what you can believe in, not you telling us what you have freedom to believe in. It doesn't matter what the specific sin is that Biola is trying to regulate. It's consistent with Scripture. But the primary fundamental problem is that the freedom for Biola to choose, and countless other schools as well in, in California, countless other schools to choose the moral standards of their students and their faculty is now being legislated by Sacramento politicians who've never even been on the campuses, probably never even met most of the students that are on those campuses. So we live in a war where that is infringing upon the moral freedoms of those things that for 108 years Biola has believed in, as do we here at Calvary Church as well. We also saw that the uh, Supreme Court made a decision that we will not cause anybody to prohibit any abortion up to the ninth month, even minutes before pregnancy is being completed in terms of the delivery of the child. It's just, it's just stunning to think that that nine-month little baby in the womb has no constitutional rights, and we have people running for the presidency of the United States who believe that little baby has no rights. It's just unfathomable to think that they who claim to be lobbying for the least of us cannot see that those lives matter as well. 
And so we live in this world where it seems so upside down, it seems so tragic. But there are also very specific areas that you and I will battle as well. And I listed some of the areas of struggle that are on this outline at the top part of it, some areas we may struggle with. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul has already described that you need to live out your calling for Jesus Christ. You need to have a commitment that is sold out where there is no compromise in your life. You need to have the kind of allegiance to the ministry where you are working together hand in hand, growing in your faith, committed to one another, uh, resolved to support and edify one another in the church commitment in Ephesians 4.14. We also see that He has called us to maintaining healthy interpersonal relationships. For example, if you've got an anger problem, you can't say you just have an anger problem. Paul says, fix it. Stop it. Don't do it anymore. That is a struggle that Paul says you cannot just rationalize. Ephesians 4.29, he encourages effective and encouraging communication. Does every word that proceed out of our mouths, is that a wholesome word for edification or does it tear down, does it gossip, does it backbite against another? Offering genuine forgiveness. I've been hurt. If you've been hurt the way I've been hurt, you would know that I could not forgive, nor could you forgive these people. Well, Paul says that's a struggle. To forgive those who have hurt us is a tremendous struggle. But he calls us to live that way. That's the part of the battle line. Living in holiness all the time. No coarse jesting. No filthy talk. Don't even have the appearance of that. That's a pretty high bar that Paul calls us to. That's part of that struggle involved in a healthy, committed, loving, growing marriage where the wife is subject to her husband and the husband loves his wife the way Christ loves the church, which is sacrificial, that is unselfish, that has this sensitive love that understands and cares for her the way God would. And if we don't have marriages like that, then it's a struggle for us. Because that's a high bar that he's given for those who get married. Then he also says, those of us who have children, that you rear your children in the admonition and nourishment of the Lord, that everything that they do turns out to be consistent with what Christ would do. And when we have children who do not walk that walk, we know that we are in a struggle. And then one of the last things, and there's many others, but I just cited these. Serving Christ in social and business relationships where everybody I encounter in the social world as well as where I work, I treat them the way Jesus treats them. We talked about that last Sunday. That I have an attitude that is positive, encouraging, edifying, because I'm not doing it for them. I'm not doing it for my boss. I may not even like my boss. He may be a terrible boss. But Jesus says, you do it for me because you're representing me. And these are the areas. We can talk about 1146. We can talk about the Supreme Court. Those are legitimate concerns and struggles. But when it comes right down to it in a daily existence, these are the things in Ephesians 4 through 6 that Paul is calling us to that are hard. And it's hard to be faithful and consistent and diligent. It's easier to quit, to be led astray, and say, I can't live that way. But Paul says, no, this is the calling. This is the standard. This is what I expect. This is what God says. So why is it so hard? Because there is a battle going on. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 13 tells us about this war. This is why those things that just were listed are hard. This is in Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of the wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And so we begin there. Next Sunday, we'll finish this whole series on the spiritual armor of God. But just to set the stage for that this morning, we must depend on the power of God. The things I listed that is Ephesians 4 through 6, the things that we talk about on a more national, global scale, we can't do that on our own. And so Paul says, finally, in light of everything that he has said in Ephesians 1 through 6, finally, be strong in the Lord, strength of his might. And I love the repetition. These might be synonyms of strong, strength, and might. Finally, be strength, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. But I looked up the words. There's a little bit of different color. I don't want to over-exaggerate it. But notice that the word strong comes uh, from a Greek word that we get the English word dynamite from. Now, dynamite, typically, in our mind, we think something that blows up and scatters parts everywhere. Well, dynamite is simply this explosive power that is in us. God says, God says, I want to give you that strong power. And then in the strength, he says, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength, strength, kratos, comes from kra, which is this idea of to be perfect or to be complete. He says, I want to give you power so that you are perfected, completed in what I have called you to do. Because I'm not asking you to have that kind of marriage simply in your own power. I'm asking God to give you the power to have that kind of marriage. I'm not asking you to go out there and serve a boss that you may not like, a job that you may hate. I'm asking God to give you power to serve those around you as Christ would. And then in the might, it's related to a word that means to hold. So there is this sort of this picture of Christ coming in to hold us and to perfect us and to empower us to a life that we could never achieve on our own. And those who think they can live this life without that power are sadly mistaken. Notice in Daniel chapter 10, this is a bigger story that uh, could go into, but in Daniel chapter 10, a prayer is being offered by uh, those who are battling the spiritual forces of the heavenly powers. And the prince, the demon of the kingdom of Persia, and there are demons that are over portions of the land. The reason that we have so much trouble with Iran, which is Persia, is because, as we see in Daniel 10, that was written a couple thousand years ago or more, there is a demonic power that is there over the kingdom of Persia, was withstanding me, and this is the angel Gabriel, the one of the most powerful angels there is, for 21 days, for three weeks, he's battling this demon. And then he says, Michael, one of the chief princes who is the most powerful angel, he came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. This is a little window into the spiritual realm that we're going to be talking about today and next Sunday. But there is a battle that is going on. There are demons that are over territorial powers, and there are angels as strong as Gabriel is who announced about the birth of Jesus and things like that. And he says, even I couldn't defeat this demon. I needed Michael to come, one of the most powerful angels there is, to defeat this power that is against me. So God knew that. And God knows whatever struggle you're experiencing, in the list that I gave you there, there might be other things as well, if it's anger, if it's hopelessness, if it's depression, whatever that struggle is. God says, I know you can't do it on your own because there are powers that are out there that are greater than you. And even Gabriel illustrates the fact, I need more help. 
I can't do it on my own. So he says, I want you to walk in that power, and here is how I invite you to do it. We must put on the full armor of God so that we can stand firm in our faith. This is what God says. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not the Supreme Court. It's not Senator Lara in Sacramento. No. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of the wickedness in the heavenly places. That's a, that's a mouthful. I want to break that down in a moment. But I want to pick up on this very first line. Put on the full armor of God. It is so critical that we understand that. And I want to do something so that you will never forget where you were on July the 3rd, 2016 at Calvary Church. Oh, yeah, that was that message that Dave preached. I'd like to illustrate this. Now, how many of you are familiar with a paint gun? You know what a paint gun is? All right, it shoots out these little round pellets that have color inside, and there are games where people go out there and try to shoot each other with these paint gun pellets, and they think that's fun. And so I have a paint gun here, so I didn't want to scare anybody. You can see it's safe because it has that, that thing on it. And so if I were to shoot Ken right here, it wouldn't come out. Not that I really want to, unless you want me to. And so you pull that out, and you throw it back there like that, and there are pellets in here, and you shoot out color. For example, let me show you what this is really like. I have to take the uh, safety off, and so I don't want to damage the piano, so I'm going to put that right there. I just want you to get a feel for what I'm talking about here. And so if I'm a good shot, I'll hit that. If I'm not a good shot, I'll hit the piano. And so it's something like this. Oh, my goodness, it went all the way through it. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. It's more powerful than I realized. Let me put the safety back on. All right. Now, yeah, I know. It's just paint. We'll clean it up. We'll power wash it. But what I'd like to do so that you will never forget this moment, <laughs> I'm going to invite one of you, a volunteer, to come up and shoot me. Do I have any volunteers out there? Okay, come on up. Come on up. Yeah, all right, way in the back. Good. And so let's welcome our, our latest volunteer. He had to sit all the way in the back, so here goes all our time. But it's good to have... Thanks for coming on up here. And uh, as he comes up, I just want to let you know this is safe. Don't worry. No one's going to get hurt except me. And so I just wanted you to understand. And uh, you are... E Ethan Mayetta. Ethan Mayetta. Okay. Have we met before? Just once. Just once. Okay. <laughs> no. I know Ethan. Ethan is a Marine... 
Ethan is a Santa Ana Police Department cop. And Ethan was number one marksman in his class. He's a good shot. So Ethan, I'd like to give you this gun, and I want you to shoot me. You have to take the safety off. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me get... Here we go. I had this all planned, and occasionally I get a little nervous and have to put on my... Let's see, which is the front? All right. This is my own personal vest. I wear this every day. I should wear it on Sundays. Wait, it goes the other way. Yeah, I know, I know. It's supposed to stop. It's supposed to stop anything that comes my way, but uh, we'll find out. I can't figure this thing out. That looks backwards, doesn't it? Huh? There we go. I guess it should protect in the back and the front. There we go. Ethan puts one of these on every day. All right. I want you to protect my face. It's my best feature. <laughs> All right, I've never been shot. I've never been shot with one of those. And so, pray. Go. Oh! Ta da! Thank you, Ethan. Good job. Now, was it smart? To put on. Just in case any of you get any bad ideas. Can you imagine standing there and being shot without this thing on? No, I can't. What do you care? I'm the one getting shot. But no, we don't want to get shot. The point that I want you to always remember that little green stain on my. Vest. This is supposed to stop a bullet, so it, it actually it still kind of stung a little bit. So, Paul is sitting in a prison when he writes Ephesians. He's looking at a soldier standing next to him, and he's looking at all the armor that soldier has on him. And he says, "Man, just as he is ready to go to battle, we need to be ready to go to battle. And the first thing we need to start doing is putting on the armor of God." Because we are being shot at. We are being shot at. There are lots of things that we're going to describe for you next Sunday that shows the areas in which the enemy wants to battle us and is aiming at us and is targeting us. And without the armor, it would be as stupid as me standing up here without this on. Now think about it for just a moment. Those that were terribly, horribly killed in Bangladesh this last week, in Orlando, in San Bernardino, if they had known beforehand what was going to take place, would they have trained differently? Would they have prepared differently? Would they have dressed differently? Absolutely they would. If they still were going to go, they would have had as much armor on, as much training on, as much as offensive power as they could possibly get because they know they're going to be attacked. If they have that 
and they didn't know they're going to be attacked. God says, you are going to be attacked. You will be attacked. There is a battle that is out there. So why not put on everything you know you need because you're going into a war zone? And that's what he wants us to understand. We're going into a war zone. And so he says this, because we must put on the full armor of God because we have an enemy, the devil. He is out there. He will attack us. And he has schemes. He has schemes. The word schemes. I love this Greek word, methodia. We get the English word method from it. So Satan has schemes. And I'll break down that word methodia. It is met up meaning with and hodil which means to travel or to journey with. What Satan loves to do is to come alongside and travel with us, to come alongside and partner with us, to become familiar with us. Either he or his demons will travel with us, beside us, journey where we go so we can understand who we are. It's interesting, this last week I read about a man, Jason Matthews, who for 30 years was a CIA agent. And one of his jobs for 30 years was to try to turn enemy uh, folks against their own country. And he says, there was two things that we had to do. Number one, I had to learn how to get him to trust me. And then number two, I had to live around and near and with him long enough to understand what his desires, what his hopes, what his fears, what his frustrations are. I wanted to find out what motivates him. And when I understood all that, then I used those against him. This is what Satan does. He lives with us. He wants us to trust him. That is, we act sometimes like he doesn't even exist. We're practical agnostics when it comes to Satanic and his powers. We can be that way. I can be that way. But he loves to come alongside. He loves to journey with us. So he knows what our weaknesses are. He knows what our motivations are. He knows what our desires are. If it's for power and money, Satan will come alongside and he will travel with us so we can erode away our faith in Jesus by using those against us. If it's pride and ego, he'll stroke that as best he can so that we become self-sufficient, not dependent upon the strength, power, and might of God. That's what he does. 2 Corinthians 11.3 shows this. It says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of Christ. He will come and deceive us like he did Eve. He traveled with Eve. He walked with Eve. They traveled in the garden together. Tell me, Eve, what's going on in here? And Eve disclosed to him those things that allowed him to angle and use what she said against her. We also see in 2 Corinthians 11, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. The danger that you and I have is that Satan will give his power. He will work with those that look like they're doing well or doing good things, disguised even as pastors, church leaders, Christian friends, they will be disguised and they look like they're legit. But Satan says, no, I've, I've corrupted them too. And so you can't always identify the enemy because the enemy puts on the spiritual camouflage that makes them seem so good, but they are attacking us, undermining our simple, pure faith in Jesus. 
Jesus told Peter this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Can you imagine having Jesus and Satan, a conversation? Here's Peter. Satan says, I want to sift him. I want to tear apart his life. And then Jesus says this, but I've prayed for you, Peter. Would you love to have Jesus praying for you? I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail and that you, when once you have turned away, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today till you've denied me three times that you know me. And, of course, we know he did that. Jesus is praying for the success of Peter's faith. Peter failed. But later, Peter succeeded. That's what I love about the prayers of us. You may have people who have failed, but the journey's not over. Keep praying for them as Jesus prayed for Peter that once he had failed, he will come back. And he did come back. He became the greatest evangelist the world's ever known. He was the founding father, if you will, of the church in Acts chapter 2. Don't give up on praying for people who have been sifted by Satan because God is still in the business of recovering them. Then he says, I want you to put on the full armor of God because there is an organized force against you. There are rulers and authorities in the heavens. There are powerful beings that have organized themselves to attack us. They have a territorial region. They are over the entire world, it says there. This is not some isolated incident that is somewhere else. It is here. It is in this country. It is around the world. And they have a wicked intent in attacking us. They want to tear us apart. And again, remember, they will be disguised as angels of light. They won't always look like the enemy. That's why it's so hard to fight ISIS. They don't look the way the enemy used to look in World War II. And so we have a hard time identifying that, indeed, that's an enemy. This is a, an opponent to what Christ wants for us. So Revelation 13, 4 says that they will take that power and he will infuse it in a people's lives. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast, who is this evil man. And they worshiped the dragon, who is Satan. And the dragon, Satan, because he gave his power to the beast. Here's what is scary, that Satan comes and he can delegate power to people today to carry out his wishes. So we live in a world that we need to pray against because there are people that are being empowered by the dragon to carry out the wishes of the dragon. And we have no idea because they look like such good people. And yet if you examine it carefully, you see here's Scripture and here is what they say or do and believe. And we need to be people who are diligent. As we'll talk about next Sunday, the very first thing that the, the uh, military man would put on is the belt of truth. If we don't know what the truth is, we'll never understand what the enemy is saying is inconsistent with biblical concepts. So we're inviting ourselves into this battle. So therefore, we need to take up the full armor of God. And when he said it earlier, put on the full armor of God, it means to wear it all the time. That's why I'm still wearing it until Ethan leaves the building. <laughs> and no offense to Ethan. But we need to put on the full armor of God and don't take it off. It's not like, okay, it's downtime. In the downtime, the enemy knows. Because remember, he schemes. He travels with us. He doesn't take the 4th of July off. For the enemy, this is not a vacation weekend. <laughs> there are no holidays. There's no sabbaticals. He is always on guard. He and his demonic authorities and powers of the heavens. And as Hebrews 2.14 tells us, 
Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise also partook of the same, became human flesh as we celebrated communion, the bread and the cup, that through death, and I love this line, Jesus might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. God says, I want to set you free from that. I don't want you to live under the slavery of Satan and his powers and his schemes. I don't want you to travel with him. I don't want him to delude your thinking. I don't want him to constantly influence you into things that are untrue and are hurtful to you and to others. He says, I want to render him powerless. We think, well, how is he powerless? Because he's still wrecking havoc around the world, whether Orlando or our personal journey. And I heard a good illustration of how that works. There was a missionary, Carolyn Ahrens, who remembered when she was a little girl, missionaries would come and tell these tremendous stories of life in the jungle. And there's this one missionary couple that came to her church as she related it. She says, I, I was amazed by this story because this missionary woman and this husband for all their lives had lived in the jungle, a steamy jungle, and a snake had, a huge snake had come into their house. And the snake was bigger than a person. It was a big, long, like boa constrictor kind of a snake. So they ran out of the house, didn't know what to do, and they yelled to some of their neighbors, and a man came over with a machete, as the missionary said, and she came into that house and he chopped off the head of the snake. And then he came back out and says, okay, I've killed the snake, but you can't go back in that house for hours. They said, why is that? Because the body doesn't know the head is gone. And the body is still slapping around by this uh, neural reaction with no control. And it created havoc and destroyed much of the contents of the home. As this giant snake began to slither around and just explode its body actions. that's, That's Satan. He has been rendered powerless. But there is a sense of residual power that he still has that is still causing havoc in our lives, in the lives of our friends, in our country, and around the world in places like Bangladesh. We see his power that is so much greater than you and me. So he says, don't get drunk with wine. Don't be influenced by the things that are out there. But man, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you to pray as we worship. And on the back side of the outline, I put some of the areas that I believe are specifically aligned to satanic behavior. Because these passages of Scripture actually say Satan does this. So if Satan does this, then these are front lines that we will be attacked in. Satan will disguise himself as a, under the life group discussion. He'll disguise or attacks to religious people and organizations that distort God's truth. He will attack and weaken, try to defeat your faith as you try to stay faithful to Jesus. As Satan sifted Peter, and Peter says, oh, I can trust, I can do this. Peter, God says, no, Jesus says, no, you can't, and he didn't. He will undermine your life through broken and hurting relationships and a failure to forgive. And that's a, that's a hard one for a lot of our folks to get over. He will tempt anyone to sin where their marriage is broken or in conflict. First Corinthians 7, 5 says he'll do that. He will challenge your faith when you experience health struggles and you don't seem to get better. He will attack when anxiety and worry overwhelm you and often when suffering. And he'll cause you to live under guilt and shame rather than freedom and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He loves to do those things. We'll talk more about them next Sunday. 
But I like to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to pray about these things as well. I want you, I want you to find victory even in this moment. And so as we worship together, I encourage you to take even the little card and begin to write your prayer requests for your specific area. We all have our own areas. We all have our own needs. Remember, he comes alongside and finds out what's the weak point in your life. And he schemes and travels with us till he can use that to peel us from our faith. So I invite you to be honest with God. What is it in your life that you're being challenged with? And I have a prayer at the bottom of the outline for you to pray and honestly say, God, I want victory over this. I want the armor on. I don't want to be wounded anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. So dear Heavenly Father, please give me your strength and power to overcome the attacks of the evil one in my life. I'm experiencing Satan's attacks in these ways and privately say, God, this is it. This is the battle zone for me. So I confess any sin that I have that hinders my relationship with Christ. My desire is to truly resist all evil temptations and stand firm in your truth and holiness. Thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit to enable me to live my life for you and find victory in all my struggles. I invite you to pray that prayer. If you'd like to, as we sing, come up here and pray with someone. We have some more regular folks that are always here. We have some other pastors that are available to come on up here and pray with you as well. If you'd like to come up here and just kneel and just say, God, this is my prayer. This is my, this is my enemy zone. This is, this is where I'm being attacked. I want victory in that area. God says, I want you to have victory in that area. But you have to put on my strength, power, and might. And I want to get you there as well. So God doesn't want us to live a defeated life. So I invite you to come and pray and let God do what God does best. Empower us to live the impossible life for Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us. Father God, as we pause now to worship you and to thank you, to pray to you, to ask for your power, to live a life that you've called us to live, even though it seems impossible in human power, and it certainly is. But that God, when you say that we need to put on your strength, your power, and your might. God, I pray that we would. I pray that we would live in the victory of the freedom of Christ and not in the slavery of the temptations and the sins of this world. And that we would overcome the enemy, that we would defeat those that would attack, and those demonic temptations would be removed from us, and we would see him for who he really is, an ugly beast, that wants to tear apart our heart. Help us, Father, to worship and honor and pray to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.